to continue on what we've been kind of laying some groundwork for in the last few weeks in talking about um, the, the, the DNA, if you will, of what it is to be a believer. And we uh, ha- have had some fun about this, hearing the voice of God, uh, understanding that God has a purpose for us. But th- this morning, I really want to hit on uh, this uh, idea of having uh, the DNA of Jesus. And it is found in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Now, in this passage of Scripture, let me give you just a little bit of a background. It is here that, that Paul starts the chapter off by saying, if you have been raised up with Christ, and it's in a question form, but the response is, if you have received Jesus, you have been raised. You have been quickened in your spirit. You are no longer dead in your sin, but you are alive to Jesus. And so listen to what the Word of God says this morning, because I find it again exciting that as we hear the message of the Lord given to us through uh, prophecy or through gift of tongue and interpretation, that the Word of God is right on track with what the Lord has been speaking to us throughout the entire service. So let's look, chapter 3, starting at verse number 12 of Colossians. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What an awesome passage of scripture. And in this very first part of the scripture, it talks about that we have been chosen by God. I do not find it coincidence that the Holy Spirit, speaking through a vessel today, God spoke to us and said, I've chosen you. Going right along with the word of God that is being presented today, God's wanting you to know 
you have been chosen. You've been chosen first as a call to whosoever will that you would become and be partakers in the divine nature through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on the cross. In, in which he on the cross nailed the sin of the world. Having canceled the debt and the written code. And having given you newness of life. Hallelujah. This is what he is talking about here when he says as God's chosen, holy and beloved. You say, I don't understand how that can happen. It's the Ezekiel 36, chapter 36, where he talks about he is going to take out your heart of stone. That's the miracle that Paul is talking about in these first few verses. That's how you can have a heart of compassion. That's how you can have a heart of kindness. That's how you can have a heart of gentleness. There's a concept that is going around that is not correct, and that is that to be a Christ follower, to be Christ-like, is to be a wimp, especially as a man. And it's false. See, culture has skewed everything. And I understand that God makes each person different and he has created male and female different. And God wanted it that way. But understand that a man of God can have compassion, have patience, and still be a godly man. He can still be a strong, godly man. So we have some misconceptions here that we look on this and we truly think that meekness is weakness. And so that misconception often takes us to places that we do not want to be. The first thing he says is put on that heart in verse number 12. Put on a heart of. And I want you to be able to, uh, in fact, you probably need to turn there. It'll only take just a, just a brief moment. Sometimes I don't put every scripture up here because I find that if you aren't finding them yourself in your Bible, we are not training you properly. Do you hear me? If all you do is look at Scripture on a screen and you never look at home for how to do it, we're not training you properly. We've got to get into the Word of God ourselves and not just when the pastor or a teacher or someone is here. We need to pick up the Word of God for ourselves and read the Word of God. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Starting at verse number 26. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone 
from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's that new heart he's talking about in verse 12. If you are here today and you're wondering, why don't I have that heart? You need to say, Lord, if I've called on your name, I want that heart. I I am turning in my heart of stone. Because that is a part of what God does at salvation. And then he doesn't leave it there. He says in verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. What happens is the law of God is no longer written externally. The word of God becomes written on your heart. It's no longer that I have to serve God, it's that I want to serve God. It's a desire of mine to please Him. It is a passion of mine to serve and live for Him. You say, Pastor Brian, I don't understand you. I don't have that heart. Then you need to say, Lord, do a work in me. Now, lest you understand, I'm not trying to be harsh, but I will draw this point. America has made the gospel easy believism to where I believe no longer sometimes are people really having a genuine repentance. They're coming and saying magic words with their mouth thinking they'll become part of a club, walking away without any transformational change in their life. Because we have said, well, if we just entertain people, somehow they'll get the gospel by osmosis. And the word of God says, don't be ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation. Now, that doesn't mean we become uh, irrelevant to our community. Had to get the right word or it was going to come out wrong. That doesn't mean we we say, well, it doesn't matter. We're just going to do things the way we've always done them 30 years ago. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that does not change, not methods. Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes that, all, that some may be saved. So we ought to be willing to do the same. But this is the first thing that I want us to focus on as truly a point because I believe it sums up all of them and it's found in verse number 14. He says, and beyond all these things, all that he's, he's talked about, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, he talks about one. He says, put on, in verse 14, love. Why is it that that love is the, the culmination of all the other things. Because First John makes it clear, God is love. First John chapter 4, that chapter talks about that God is the very essence of love. When you say God, that's who He is. We have this idea in our culture that love is weakness. You heard me talk about this last week. 
and I wanted to find it because in this passage of Scripture, this is our focus. We think love is weakness. How many of you would be willing to bear the sin of the world? See, we, we have done a real good job at skewing both sexes. There's a reason God made both male and female the way he did, but even in culture now, we have made it to where men are either uh, completely where they can't be men or women are completely where they can't be women. Neither is correct. And by the way, the Word of God makes it clear that these emotions are, and these characteristics are not just to be in ladies. They're to be in us, all of God's children. Love is not just an ooey-gooey, oh, everything goes, oh, I never can say anything that would offend anybody. Love calls people out when it's a need. Love says to a child, stop it. Because you know if you don't correct them, they're going to be in trouble. Either physically, spiritually, that somehow love calls them out and says, no, you will not do that. So this idea that love is weak really needs to change. This idea that love is not strength. There is no one like God. And there's no one that loves like God. So love is not a weakness. Love is truly displayed. The greatest love that we've ever seen manifested is where Jesus on the cross and before the cross, looked up at his father and said, God, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Yet, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you desire. See, love isn't weakness. Love is doing the right thing. And sometimes that means saying no, and sometimes that means doing something difficult, even when we don't want to do it, even when our flesh doesn't feel like doing it. That's why he talks about here, forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. You say, well, I don't have it in me. Yes, you do. If you have Jesus, you have the spirit of him in you. What you're saying is when you say, I won't, what you're, or when you say, I can't, you're really saying, I won't. Because if you have Jesus in your heart, there is the Spirit of Christ in you to extend forgiveness. Because all you have to do is remember the time, number 467, when you stood before God for the same thing and asked for forgiveness. And all of a sudden you say, I think I can extend that. That's love. He says, put on love, and by the way, this love is the reason for the bond of unity in the church. You look at any church, and by the way, you get any more than one person in a room, you're going to have a conflict. 
So if you have conflict in your marriage, you're like everybody else. The idea that, that we think that there's never an argument in a Christian home is foolishness. We're human beings. But the fact is, when you have the love of Christ, there can be a unity in your home and in the corporate church. That, that it doesn't mean everything has to fall to pieces because we don't agree on everything. In fact, diversity in the body of Christ is an incredible strength. But without love can be our worst enemy. So love brings them all together in a perfect bond of unity. And then he talks about this. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Now if you look at that in the Greek, it literally means to call the shots of your heart. And there's no greater way of illustrating this than the umpire. Because the umpire, what he says goes, you can shout, you can scream, you can kick all the dust you want on him. It doesn't change the fact that he's made a call. And if you will let the umpire of your heart, which by the way, because Jesus in last week's scripture verse, if you remember, says, I'm going to go away and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he will convict of righteousness concerning me because I'm not going to be here. So how do you know who's going to call the shots? Let the Holy Spirit umpire your heart. Not your emotions, not your mind. Let the Spirit umpire your heart. He will call the shots. He will speak to you and he will say sometimes, out of here. But see, that is uh, in my own life what I find is the greatest thing that's hard to do. It's hard to understand, first of all, this concept that says, I am to die and disappear and Christ is to live. Because there is a part of my mind that says, I can't do that, who will I be? And my, my, my nature my wars with my spirit. It's at war. The Bible talks about this. This is why Paul says, I reckon my flesh to be dead daily. Because there's this war. So don't think that just because you've made a decision and you've come to Christ that there isn't going to be this in you to where you have to choose to listen to the umpire, the Holy Spirit of your heart. It's hard. Also, practically, when someone does something unintentionally to hurt me, my flesh wants to jump out. But when someone does it purposely, now you're all bets are off, man. (laughs) But no, let the Spirit of God umpire your heart. (laughs) 
He is to be the umpire. And it says here, you were indeed called to be one body. Again, how does disunity happen? In a home, in a church, in wherever. It's when we don't let the Holy Spirit umpire our hearts. When our flesh is in charge and large, there's lots of conflict. When the Holy Spirit is in charge, there becomes a unity. And I'm talking about things I know that are hard to grapple with, as I've said, because although the Spirit of God is alive in us, we still have this temple of clay that we struggle with. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. He says here, not that it's something to be theorized, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So again, I have to purposely stop and listen for the voice of God to umpire my heart. If you do whatever your first reaction is, I will tell you 99 point percent of the time, my flesh tells me what I ought to do. It's just right in front of me all the time. But if I pause, the Spirit of God will umpire the heart and say, no, don't do that. Or no, do this. That's part of the DNA of Jesus in us. Uh, They are finding more and more, uh, if you watch the forensic science shows, which I do, I like those, because... They find that the uniqueness of who you are, even as close as you are to your parents. I look at at Michaela, and more and more I see her mom. But as close as some of those resemblances I see in them, Michaela is Michaela, and there is nobody on the face of the earth like her. That's the DNA that Jesus wants us to have spiritually. That it's so unique that people know unmistakably that's Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? That that it's it's not that it's absolutely 100%. I know that that was Jesus. Oh, that we would see that. And nowadays, especially, we need to have the DNA of Christ in the church, in our homes, in our lives. Because people don't need to see religion. They don't need to see church. They need to see Jesus. Well, then he says, let the Word of God dwell richly within you. A little dab will not do it. A dollop won't do it. You need a big, large, all-the-time washing of the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be what we consume our, our, when we wake up, we ought to read it. When we go about our day, we ought to dwell on it. You know, everything that the, that the Lord has asked us to do, the world tries to imitate. And so I understand with some of these 
Eastern meditations and yoga and some of the stuff that they're doing, that sometimes, uh, yes, there's some real, uh, uh, what I would say, maligning of God in those. But, but I just, it, it never ceases to amaze me that instead of just going and saying, okay, so what does God's word say? We feel like we got to guard against that. We got to swing the pendulum way over here. So now we're telling people, oh, don't meditate. That's bad. No, it's not. It's what you're meditating on that matters. God says, meditate on my word day and night. That's good meditation. That's the kind of meditation that'll change your heart, change your life. That's where the DNA of God and His Spirit go deep to where it's not just surface religion, where it's change in your heart and in your life. That doesn't happen with a one-time washing at the altar, as good as that is. That happens with a depth That's why he says, let it dwell in you richly. How do you start when you start with a garden? I know that that people say sometimes it literally takes almost seven years before the soil is really rich enough to really do what you want it to do. You just have to keep continuing to put the nutrients in. That's the way we are spiritually. And there's some of us that want this big garden that looks like tomatoes that big when all we've done is plowed the ground once five years ago and never done anything. You can't get that kind of fruit when you have not allowed the Word of God to dwell richly. And the Word of God is not the problem. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So it's not the Word that's lacking. It's it's us applying the Word. And my own self, I speak here constantly. It's why I put my name in the Bible, all throughout the Bible. When Spencer and they were growing up, Dad, why is your name here? Why is your name here? Because you know why? When I open my Bible, my flesh is like everybody else. My flesh says, oh, that scripture's good for that person. Oh, that scripture's good for your wife. Oh, that scripture's good for your kids. No, that scripture's good right here first. First. If there's any hope for my kids, here first. If there's any hope for my community, here first. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And here I want us to turn uh, to a a couple of places. I want us to look at uh, uh, Jeremiah. The Word of God is so powerful. Jeremiah 23-29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? 
the Word of God is powerful. And I find my flesh recoils because he knows when the hammer comes, there's going to be change. When the hammer and the chisel hit the rock, the rock does not stay the same. Something's going to give, and it's not the hammer. And that's the way the Word of God. And I can usually tell the temperature of my spiritual walk with God by whether I love spending lots of time in the Word. Because when my walk with God is tepid, my love for the Word will become cool. When, when my flesh is in charge, it's a lot easier to just say, you know, that, that old hammer doesn't sound real good. But when you're in step with the Spirit, you say, Lord, take off another edge. Take off another edge, Lord. I realize that what I'm talking about this morning is a growing in Christ, but North Lake God has called us not just to reach those and bring them in to be saved, but to disciple them so they too can go out and people will see the DNA of Jesus in them as well. So we must be having a depth in our own life. God is not wanting us to be an inch deep and a mile wide. He's wanting us to be three miles deep and three miles wide. So, we all come down to this. Chapter 3, verse 17. I do not think it is by accident that here in the end, Paul says... Twice, do. And I laughed as I was studying this because I said, the pastor's going to ask him to go out and (laughs) do-do. But that's what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Is, I believe he said it twice because it is so easy for us to sit and talk about spiritual things to sit and listen to spiritual things. God has not called us just to come listen. That's part of it. God has not called us just to come and talk about. God has called us to go out of here and live it and do it. Do it in our homes, in our workplaces, everywhere, and verse 17 makes it clear, act now. Don't wait. Don't say, well, you know, those, the, the, the ones that, that, that teach, you know, Matt needs to be going out and doing that. No, Matt on Sunday morning is part of training so that you and I can go out and do it. The point is, is it's for everyone in the church. Not just a few, but he's saying it is to act now, whatever you do. So you can't even say, well, you know, if God hadn't given me this job, I'd really go out and do something for God. No, God's given you the job you have so you can go out and do the things of God. 
Well, you know, if I, wasn't, if I wasn't stuck in an office cubicle all day, I'd go out and do the things of God. No, God wants you in that spot doing the will of God. See, we've got to change our mentality. God wants wherever you are for you to be exactly where you are and look for the opportunities God gives you there. In fact, if God is to ever call you on somewhere else, you're to be faithful there first. And I find in my own life, if, I, if I'm saying, Lord, I, I want to go do this, I want to go do that, that the Lord will say, well, what are you doing now? <laughs> Other than complaining to me about where you are. See, God wants us to do. God wants us to act now. Not talk about it in a classroom. Not chat about it in a chat room. Not talk about it at university level or at graduate level or theorize about it. Not even a PhD where you have these lofty discussions and notions. God wants us to live it. He says, go and whatever you do in word and in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to the glory of God the Father. Do it now. So as we get ready to participate in communion, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, get ready. And we're celebrating communion not so that we can go home and talk about how wonderful it was, but to remember that we're to go out and do it. We're celebrating the fact that God has us in the family so we can go do it. Amen? Amen. Come ahead, gentlemen. And if you would, just uh, hold the communion for a minute because I want to uh, just have a few instructions before we start. First of all, I don't want to ever assume that there might not be one here that needs to make a commitment to Jesus. I don't want to assume that, so I'm going to ask. Are you here and you need to make a response? You know, you've heard that God loves you. He's died on the cross to take your sin away. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity. Would you slip your hand up and say, yes, pastor, pray with me. I want to receive Jesus in my heart. I want a new heart. I want that heart of flesh. Slip your hand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Then I would ask this instruction. The Word of God says as we get ready to partake of communion, that before we do, a man ought to examine himself to make sure that he is a part of the body. It means that you don't have to be a member of this church at North Lake to participate as long as you're a member of his body. You've received him, you're welcome to participate.
A communion cup is served to you in two cups. It's got the cup beneath for your bread. The cup on top has the juice representing the Lord's blood. God bless you as you pass them out. sitting and being in the Lord's presence as we prepare our hearts for communion, I, I would like to ask us to, as we're participating in the Lord's Supper this morning, that we truly remember the message the Lord has given us this morning, that we are to be His, He's chosen us, and that we are to allow Him to be Lord as well as Savior, that we are to allow Him every area of our life, that we are to become doers of His Word wherever He causes our feet to go, that we would be a doer.